The Multiverse Podcast presents Portal in the Forest, the final chapter. Written by Matt Demersky and narrated by Eunice Randall. About that time, I told myself. All around me, the house creaked against mighty mercurial winds. Windows rattled, making the radiating orange from street lamps outside dance, and I feared the glass might soon shatter. Get up. Shakily, I slid my hands down against dusty floorboards and pushed. Gripping the wall and fighting dizziness, I managed to stand on my one good foot. Closing my eyes for a moment, I did an assessment. Sliced up and bandaged foot, badly sprained wrist, fiery pained knot in my spine, Body-wide muscular exhaustion from eight or nine miles of running, carrying and dragging the day before, and general deep malaise from a near-lethal hangover. What did I have? One good foot, one good hand, a laptop, a backpack of assorted gear, a spare shoe with an unknown but valuable type of special dirt on it, an objective and lethal image of a dangerous multidimensional device, a drunkenly drawn but safe-to-view approximation of said image, and the device itself, sitting on the floor in the guise of a large book. All right, then. How do we save the world with this crap? The house, my only companion, replied with a shivering whip and chilly whistle as the wind outside momentarily intensified. No ideas, then? I asked it rhetorically, stashing all my stuff in my backpack and limping toward the front door. Above the trembling orange street lamps, a ghostly pale blue sky clung to the last vestiges of sunset. Dark clouds raced through those spectral colors at an unsettling pace. And it was cold, bitterly cold, when the fullest force of oncoming air pushed through the suburban canyons between houses. To call the evening unnatural would be an understatement. Limping through the old Dodson lot, I quickly discovered that the forest beyond had been devastated by the forceful flinging of hundreds of trees, probably when the portal had expanded to my guess of a mile and a half wide. Shorn trunks hung at odd angles in the air all around, supported by hillocks, still living trees, and each other. I didn't have to go far. Blinking rifts and sickly drooping gouges in the air pulsed on both sides of the path, thankfully leaving just enough room to slip between regions of rotted space. It wasn't one gigantic portal as I'd feared, but it was still tremendously destructive. The movement of thousands of portals rushing in and out of existence seemed to be fueling the biting icy winds I'd noted back at the suburb and I imagined the miles-wide phenomenon was contributing to the eerie weather. The full extent of the destruction was only visible from that one last hill before our usual meeting place. The Virginia forest had been randomly obliterated. Scattered lone trees stood among a wide oval sea of frothing space-time. I wondered, would the sunset aflame mountain range block the expansion of the portal's west? They were sticking to a wide, flat, disc-shaped area around the spot where it had all begun. 
The damage was not spherical as I'd worried. It seemed gravity and locale had some effect on the situation. Dodging down the last hill into sliced beams of amber evening and gloomy darkness, I found half a dozen kids frantically trying to bury some of the smaller portals. Danny was helping, but he didn't seem very hopeful. Thomas sat on a mossy boulder, staring down at his shovel-dirtied hands and nursing his black eye every so often. All of the children stopped and stared at me as I approached. "'What's the situation?' I asked, probably for the last time. Danny looked at the faces of each of his neighbors in turn before replying with a worried grimness. He had to speak quite loud to be audible over the inclement weather. "'Looks like this is it. The destination's going to change in a couple hours, and then... I assume it's over.' But if we take the book through one more time, it could also rupture. Do you think burying these small portals will do anything? I shook my head. No. Where do the portals lead today? He regarded one of the more stable nearby apertures. A flat, grassy plain. Blue sky, sun shining. I sighed. Yep, he agreed. Absolutely some sort of horrible trap. Putting down my backpack in a small area of lightly muddy safety, I pulled out the image I'd drawn while drunk and gripped it tight against the icy winds. The kids gathered round. This is what the book really looks like, I told them. Ideas? It's all spiky, several noted. How are you even holding it without getting cut? Good question. What do these gears do? How does it open? I blinked. Open? The girl I remembered for being smart expanded on her question. You open the pages to read people's stories, don't you? What are you really doing when you think you're opening a book? After handing her the paper with the drawing on it, I slid the tome out of my backpack and stared at it, trying to look past the illusion. Honestly, I have no idea. I narrowed my eyes. Kids, can you tell me what you don't see in that drawing? They traded answers for a time, until Danny spoke the answer with such direct realization that the others all knew it had to be true. It doesn't look evil, he breathed. I'm not scared of it. It's just a weird machine. I nodded. That's what I'm thinking, too. It's got serrated, almost saw-blade-like pointy sections, but I don't think they're intended to be scary. It's a machine, so somebody built it. And no matter who you are, you build weapons with a certain visual awe and strength. No, somebody went through a ton of trouble to make sure this looked and operated like a book. I picked it up without knowing what it was in the slightest, and I was able to operate it and read from it. Something about my conversation with the information trading entity struck me. The game had been to ask the right questions, and I had asked, how do I neutralize the threat this book poses? The entity hadn't even had an answer for that one, and I'd seen it as an ominous sign. But what if the book posed no threat at all? What if that was why it hadn't been able to answer that specific question? 
I'd been mistaken in applying human emotions and connotations to its words. What if taking the book through the portals damaged and enlarged them only because it was some sort of gigantic, multi-dimensional manifold machine? If portals were a sort of fragile tunnel, then dragging this metaphorically large and spiky object through them would only naturally cause havoc. And that, right there, might have been the reason the entity thought it beneficial for me to understand more about the device. It had been able to connect to an active portal from its pocket dimension. Was that ability an integral part of its existence? Perhaps the damage we were causing to portal space had something to do with its motives. I've never opened the book here, I realized aloud, shivering against a sudden realization and the wind. I assumed from the start that it was extremely dangerous. I assumed opening it here would be the end of us all. I looked over at Thomas, who still sat on his rock. He gazed back at me with a slight wonder, realizing that I was thinking about our conversation about his sister and how she and I shared a certain kind of paranoia. We'd both seen enemies where none existed. Furthermore, the information trading entity had seen opening the device as a violation of truce, which I'd assumed meant the device was dangerous. But that demon had been all about the trade of information, and violence was not the only crime in existence. There was also theft. I've opened the book many times now, and all it does is... Well, I know this might sound crazy, but I think it talks to souls. I think it lets them tell their story, living or dead. I think it's a very special kind of information tool. Thomas narrowed his eyes. The kids looked at each other in askance. Danny just frowned. How does that help us? I assumed this book had something to do with the portals, but... The portals were around for weeks before I came along and found it lying there in that dead world. I glanced up at the violently beautiful sun as the last sliver of sunset began disappearing behind the distant, undamaged tree line. A vast region of rippling portals lay between myself and that line, hinting at what might happen to the earth if this situation was allowed to continue. In fact, do any of you know the first day someone found it? What changed then? Even the slightest detail could be of major importance. The kids unanimously shook their heads. I shivered again. There has to be another force at work, one we haven't even considered before. Favoring my one good hand, I lifted the book. We might be able to use this to understand what's happening before it's too late, but I can't guarantee anything. It still might destroy the world. The choice is up to you, kids. What other option do we have? Danny asked. Thomas spoke up, his jaw trembling. I could use the eye worker, like we planned, and get rid of it. I shook my head. No. It's not your choice to make, he replied, his voice shaky. We can vote on it. I waited with a grim expression as several children voted for Thomas to use the eye worker. Some rationalized their decision by believing in the inviting facade they could all see through the portals. I couldn't be sure myself. 
Was I simply too paranoid to ever trust a good thing when I saw it? After all the bad luck and all the pains we'd gone through, here was the perfect destination to get rid of the strange device once and for all. We had no way of knowing, so it all hinged on how each individual thought of life. Was reality a cold and vicious place full of sadistic irony? Or was it the kind of balanced existence that might just throw the human race a bone once in a while? We'd seen so many nightmare realities, full of suffering, devoid of humanity. Were those simply the worst of the lot, or had they been representative of the norm? The destinations had all been wonderful and calm before I'd arrived, or so the children had told me. As they finished up voting, I froze. Was it me? These were innocents, for the most part. They'd been pilfering odd books and interesting toys from other realities before I'd come along, bringing all my self-torture, doubt, pain, and paranoia. The destinations couldn't possibly have been twisted darker because of that, could they? And I... I'd found peace once more. A real peace. An inner calm after saving all those kids. Did that mean today's destination, an open and sunny field, might actually be positive and welcoming? Although I stood in place physically, internally I reeled. It was the ultimate conundrum. Trust and risk having everything shattered, or distrust and fulfill your own prophecy. That's it then, Danny counted. I suddenly focused on his face one caught somewhere between boy and man. What'd you decide, I asked, still frozen. Open it. I breathed a sigh of relief and found myself able to move again. More information. That would solve this dilemma. But what if we still had to send Thomas off into that world? What if this didn't tell us enough? I'll read it out loud so we can all hear. I gulped, threw off my fears, and opened it for the last time, vaguely aware, on an obscure subconscious level, that I was actually working some sort of mechanism instead of turning pages. This time, for the first time, I opened it to the front and said aloud with no idea whether it would work, Tell me about the force keeping the portals open. Being born was a rather... Oops, too far back. I flipped forward. It's an odd thing, being alive. I wasn't sure when it started, only that it was happening. What's the difference between being a series of electrical currents and a sentient series of electrical currents? One piece of sensory information at a time, I began constructing an understanding of my existence. A larger thing like me was always floating around nearby, shoving materials and energy toward me at specific intervals. I found this highly annoying, until I began to realize that I needed it to continue currenting, or whatever it was that I was doing to be me. It was about then that I also realized I could stop being me if I didn't consume the proper materials and energy regularly. Non-existence? 
Who would create a thing such as life and then also create its opposite? This was poor design on the part of someone important. The larger thing like me was not the one who had set up all of existence, so I lost my ill will toward the feedings. In time, I also found that many of the bothersome vibrations it sent at me through our medium of motion were coded. It was a game. For a timeless time, I worked on the game. I discovered associations one by one, eventually comprehending that this was a mode of communication. This other thing had thoughts too, and we could share them in a roundabout manner by making spatial vibrations. A whole new level of understanding opened up before me. Using words, I could think about things beyond my immediate senses and talk about things in other places and even in other times. That one thing happened before and some other thing will happen. It was wonderful. The universe too was wonderful and filled with the stuff we seem to be made of. Very hot beacons pumped out light practically everywhere and I happily took it and grew larger. Eventually, I became aware that the other, bigger thing near me had created me, me and several others, that were my siblings. There were lots of things like us, and the smaller things they'd created, and we all moved in a very large swarm between distant clusters of light beacons. Not too far into my life, we came to a huge rock and touched down. It was here that I was given a more solid form by the thing that had created me. It was fun to move around like that, touching things and feeling things, but it seemed that we were there to stay. The other things had once been physical beings, I was told, and we would find refuge in that form as the light beacons went out. And they were going out. One winking and vanishing dot at a time, darkness began blotting out the sky. Some ancient, physical-bodied culture had built tiny machines that flew around, ate stuff, and constructed more of themselves, with the intent of controlling mass and energy and putting the building blocks of the universe to efficient use. The creators were gone by that time, but the machines remained. They ate the planets, nebulae, and other assorted celestial objects quite easily. Then, approximately 16 quadrillion quadrillion of them would hover near a star, and their combined gravity would siphon off the stellar gases. Those gases would then travel out into space, cooling, until they could be used to construct more of the little machines. We would not be around when they came to our rock, though. Even encumbered in physical bodies, we could make tunnels to other places, places where the hungry little machines could not go. I didn't think any of this was odd. I was new. What did I know? But I did miss that small shred of safe and warm time being cared for by my creator thing. She stayed with me through everything, and always taught me and protected me. She was with me when we went through the portals and moved on to another gigantic bubble space that the others called a universe. That universe was free of eating machines, but we found that new horrors awaited us. The new reality seemed safe enough at first, until some of the things with our physical swarm started to behave oddly. Most had taken up farming and building structures for us to live in, but some talked of security and then of violence. 
by the time we realized that one of our rock's moons was not a moon at all, and influencing the minds of some of our kind, it was too late, and we were forced to open the portals and flee the slaughter. I didn't understand much of this at the time. My mother shielded our family from the worst parts. Only half of us got through to the next universe. This reality was on fire. All of it. All the time. We could see the spark of sapience in the flames, and we could protect ourselves from it as a group for a time, but it was on to the next, with a small handful of losses. I remember that one vividly. I was a little more comfortable in my body by then, and starting to forget my time as a creature of light. That made it all the more jarring when that horrific fungus began growing out of many of those around me and eating them from the inside out. Where the metal machines had eaten rock and gas, these extremely tiny biological machines feasted on living matter and grew rapidly. They would have been no threat at all if not for our bodies. The realities became a blur after that. My mother stuck by my side through them all, protecting me as our swarm dwindled in size with each new nightmare. Our family lost members one by one, to hunger, death, and war. Eventually, we were forced to use a portal sooner than the others, and we became forever split from them. It was just me and her. And then, it was just me. For a very long time. I just want to go home. But I have no idea where the things like me are or how to reach them. I never learned how to control portals myself, so the ones I make are just random. There are some good realities out there, I've seen them. But I keep looking and they are never there. Did we just get bad luck of the draw? Our flight from our reality seems like a cruel joke in retrospect. I never got the time to live, to be part of my people. And now all I have of them are memories. I just want to go home. And more than anything, I miss my mother. I looked up from the book, feeling strange. Was there no intentional threat here at all? It made so much sense. Some sort of energy entity was hanging around here and trying to go home. And I'd stumbled in, brought back a multi-dimensional device, and then screwed it all up. Darkness had fallen completely while I'd been reading, and the kids now shone flashlights around the vast bubbling clearing. What could it look like? Danny asked. Surely we'd notice a strange creature hovering around? The other kids nodded, suggested random ideas, and argued. What if it's lying? Thomas asked suddenly, wincing against the freezing gusts cutting through our group. I blinked. The book? He nodded. What if it's lying? I hadn't considered that for some reason. If it's lying, then it wants us to keep it here so that it can destroy everything. He held out one hand and used the other to reach into his pocket. I'm ready. I'll use the eye worker and we'll get rid of it. 
We can't risk keeping it here. I thought I saw slight tears in his eyes, although whether it was from fear or from the bitter wind, I couldn't be sure. I don't know. It doesn't feel right. You're not doing it, Denny cut in, speaking to Thomas. You have a death wish or something? I'll hit you again if I have to. I immediately straightened with confused anger. You hit him? When was this? Thomas cowered back from my sudden rage. I heard something, someone screamed, and the group looked around. There, it's the creature! Numerous flashlights turned toward the trees. I stared, frozen with anticipation as a small whirling oval grew larger. Were we finally about to see the entity that had been lurking in the forest and causing all this? It wasn't my imagination. The ground had begun to shake beneath us, and I clenched my teeth as my injured foot poked fire up through my leg. A very odd ripping sound emanated through the forest, as if space itself was groaning with me. As the oval expanded, I began to understand what it was. It had the same curious fuzziness I'd seen before, on the other side of the portals. In a flash... A curving beam of darkness slid from the new portal. On instinct, I chopped down and practically broke the hand of the 14-year-old boy in front of me. He dropped his flashlight, now emanating darkness instead of light, and screamed in pain. The opening of the portal had drawn all attention and all flashlight beams, and that was the only reason any of us were still alive. How many seconds, minimum, was it before the darkness entity could jump again? Christ. Drop your flashlights and run. Stay out of the beams. If that darkness touches you, you're... Before I could finish my sentence, the ground began shaking more violently, and that same ripping sound multiplied many times over. In the air, spread out across the clearing, I saw a string of portals opening. Into our world. Their training forgotten. The kids stood and stared. Drop your flashlights and get the hell out of here! I screamed. My shrill, furious, and terrified tone goaded them into action. As a group, they dropped their flashlights, but they still stood in place. We did this. We trained for this, I told them insistently. I know it's dark, but we did the run blind, remember? The hypothetical sight stealer? You did it once, and you're going to have to do it again, right now. I'll take care of this. Unable to wait any longer, I quickly kicked all the flashlights until they pointed away from us, just as the darkness entity leapt to another beam. Go! Just go! I screamed, and they all recoiled. And finally, they turned and began running away together. On a hunch, I picked up one of the lights and used my precious seconds between darkness leaps to shine a beam across the portals. Along the middle of the clearing, torsos, legs, and the occasional head appeared under my light, and only under my light. Rotted, leering faces shuffled toward me, briefly visible as I illuminated them. Beginning to comprehend how much trouble we were in, I began to retreat. But no, I needed a plan. This was worse than the end of the world. These portals were opening from every world I'd brought the book through, a falling out from the damage I'd caused. 
The threats from those places knew about me, knew about us, and they were going to come through and harm my kids. No, not after all this. I can't let this happen. The darkness entity jumped to another flashlight beam. I looked up. Fueled by portal winds, the sky was excessively tumultuous and cloudy. Night had just fallen and no stars were out, thus the pitch-black run the children would have to make on their own. But it was only a matter of time before a star glinted through the heavens, or a plane flew overhead, or some other disastrous light source presented itself for the darkness entity. And invisible corpse creatures were crossing the clearing toward me, even now. What else? Would the eyeworker hegemony send through men carrying mind-controlling light lances? Was that cleansing wall of fire going to erupt out of a random portal at any moment? I grimaced. For the moment, I had two apocalypses to deal with, and I'd have to worry about those when the time came. Okay, what did I have? Several flashlights one of which contained a biologic disintegrating darkness entity, a multidimensional information device that spoke to souls, and, looking down at my backpack, a shoe with unknown special dirt on it. Quickly grabbing the shoe, I stuck it awkwardly in a jacket pocket. Next, I regarded the flashlights. The proper course of action would be to turn them all off and annihilate the darkness entity, unless... Turning them all off except the one containing it and one other, I stuffed the flashlights in various pockets. Holding the two forward, one dark and one light, I shined them both ahead. And I leapt back immediately. The invisible corpse creatures had only been a few feet away. Under the swath of my light beam, I saw hundreds. And under the following swath of my darkness beam, those hundreds disintegrated with odd spectral screams. Jump. The darkness entity began shining out from my other beam. I couldn't afford very many of these before it found a world-ending alternate destination to jump to. Count. One, two, three, four. As fast as the darkness beam could disintegrate them, more semi-visible corpses shambled out of the widening portal. How many were there? Billions, I imagined. More began shambling out of nearby entrance portals as they grew larger. I backed up, increasingly pushed back by the semicircle flow of rotting bodies. Worse, I had to shine my light all around constantly for fear that some of the invisible attackers were coming around from behind. This was a forceful but losing strategy. Okay, retreat to the hill and think. Jump. Fifty-four seconds. Was that the minimum number of seconds? Could not remembering such a small detail actually get us all killed? I hobbled up that large hill, familiar with it even in darkness. My sprained wrist ached with the weight of the flashlight, and I had to walk extra awkwardly not to spill any flashlights or the shoe from my pockets, so my hurt foot began going numb. My pulled spine, too, began protesting fiercely. I was grimly certain that if I got rid of the darkness entity, I wouldn't be able to outrun the invisible corpses. I had to make a stand. 
somehow or another. Coming across the top of the hill and ducking backward beneath an irregular rift across the path at head height, I was startled to hear voices right behind me. What the hell is going on down there? Danny asked, peering over the edge of the hill. Thomas crouched on my other side. All the other children had fled, as I'd ordered. Why are you two still here? I demanded. Because I hate going home, Danny countered. Or maybe we couldn't let you die out here. You're kind of a mess. Thomas gulped and nodded. I nodded, mental gears turning furiously. They had made their choice, and now it was up to me to protect them. I kept shining the darkness beam down along the hill, vaporizing row after row of oncoming corpses, but something in my mind was screaming a warning. I glanced up at the horizon, the Blue Ridge Mountains. We could see the mountain range from here. We'd always been able to. My eyes lit on a single orange speck high up on the horizon. A campfire? The headlights of a car? It didn't matter. 38, 39. Reacting with all the adrenaline my body could spare, I thrust the darkness-bound flashlight into the irregular rift just above our heads and let it go. My hand came back bruised and battered from the tidal forces within, but that portal was outgoing to that sunny, grassy haven, and the darkness entity would not be able to return. Hopefully it was night and cloudy there too, and the entity would have nowhere to go at all. If not, well, now we couldn't use the portal as an escape ourselves either. One apocalypse down. How many more to go? What'd you do that for? Danny shouted. Both he and Thomas grabbed flashlights from my pockets and shined them around. A crowd of half-illuminated corpses had made it most of the way up the hill. What now? Thomas asked, shaking. Gunfire rang out from somewhere in the forest to our left, and I saw red light sliding across the treetops. Oh my god, they're really doing it, I realized aloud. The eyeworker hegemony had done exactly what I'd feared. I imagined that organized men with guns were approaching from the left even as we listened, and they were able to see the invisible corpses because of the programming devices they'd brought. They could never defeat the billions of rotting puppets flooding in through the portals, but they could certainly present their own threat. Don't let that red light reach your eyes. It'll mind control you. Seriously? Danny asked, starkly terrified. Thomas held his head in his hands. To our right, gigantic columns of flame suddenly tore up into the sky, shooting out in random directions as the portals from the obsidian world fluctuated. Time to go, I ordered quickly, happy that I'd gotten rid of the darkness entity at the right time. This situation was way beyond us, though, and I feared all was lost. And what was so special about this fucking shoe I'd been lugging around? Why had the information demon wanted its partner? The two boys helped me up, and we slogged away together, moving slightly faster than I could have on my own. We no longer moved in darkness, but in fluctuating firelight as the forest acquired cleansing flames and spread them with aplomb. 
That shifting light illuminated numerous corpses trailing us, but I still kept my flashlight tuned around us just in case. Where were we even going? The suburb was no safe haven, even though that was where I'd always told the children to run. The eyeworker battalions would reach it, or the legions of the undead, or the cleansing flames would kill everyone regardless. As we limped away in grim panic, an unexpected sight caught my eye. Maybe a hundred feet away in the forest, illuminated by firelight, several humanoid figures walked at a pace I recognized. Sealed in black, they moved at just about four miles an hour. There were two tall figures and one small one. A child. I couldn't help but laugh. So there had been survivors on the Obsidian world after all, despite the magnitude of evil humanity had perpetrated upon itself there. How long had they been walking? Did their entire culture now revolve around walking ever east, ever away from the globe-encircling cleansing flames? How many times had they walked the world round? I wondered if the people on the moon had never been able to return because these stoic human beings had refused to fall and kept the bacteria with them as a giant screw you to those that had consigned them to die. Our Armageddon had been their escape. They looked around in wonder at the forest even as they continued walking. I was sure they could do nothing to help us, but I wished them luck all the same. The boys both trembled with exhaustion and fear. I had to keep their minds occupied while I tried to come up with something. Anything. Danny, why did you hit Thomas? He tried to take the book through on his own, somewhere dangerous. My second explained. I had to do it for his own good. Thomas looked up at me from under my arm as we limped forward. Is that right? I asked him. I guess I kind of assumed one of your parents hit you when you wanted to sleep in an abandoned house instead of at home. Danny, are Thomas's parents abusive? I don't know, he replied. I never met him. He's a new kid, remember? I nodded. I remember how he was an outsider when I first came around. Thomas looked strictly ahead, a worried expression on his face. I pulled us all to a halt, suddenly grimly certain about something. Thomas, where do you live? He gulped and said nothing, instead watching us both with fear. We'd never hurt you, I told him. It's you, isn't it? You showed up at the same time as the portal, and you kept following me in, helping out. I just want to go, he suddenly blurted on the verge of tears. I didn't mean for any of this to happen. I can't control it well at all. And that thing, that book, made everything go crazy. Did it make the destinations worse, I asked? Or was that because of how you felt when I came around. His face screwed up even more, and a few tears began running down his cheeks in the half-illumination of the distant fires. I just miss my mom, he admitted. And to have you around acting like her, taking care of people, of me. Of course, I replied, hugging him tight. If you stick with me, 
I'll always keep you safe. He sniffled. Really? Why would you do that? You lost a mother, but I lost a child. I don't think there's anybody more suited to take care of you. Our two pains can cancel each other out if we let them. But right now, you need to protect me. I looked over at Danny. And your new family. All these kids. They're your new swarm. Thomas laughed despite himself and wiped his eyes. I let the words fall slowly. But right now, you have to turn off those portals. The gunfire stopped, so I'm guessing the eyeworker men have retreated for the moment. They'll be back when they formulate a plan. The mind behind those corpse things is on the other side of their portal, and the cleansing fire comes from the other side too. If you shut down the portals right now, we might all just survive the night. I don't know if I can, he said with a worried sob. It's an emotional thing, and I need to be calm and feel safe. I looked around, understanding how hard it would be to concentrate in a forest filled with approaching invisible corpses and belching flames. Would it help if you understood just how far I would go to protect you? Just how much I mean it when I say I would never leave you? Those are just words. She promised to, and then she died. I handed him the book. Souls can't lie. Take a look at my story and you'll understand. He did. Danny and I watched as the light being in the form of a boy, the light being that had just been trying to go home all this time, read my story, the one I'd been running from for far too long. The moments spent standing in place were long, and our seconds of safety were few, but it was the only way for him to understand. Finally, he looked up. Is that true? Did all that really happen to you? I closed my eyes for a good three seconds, knowing what he was asking about, and then nodded. And you're still here? Doing all this for a bunch of kids you don't even know? I nodded again. He fell forward into me, the book pressed between us, and I hugged him instinctively. He shook, sobbed, and cried for a good minute, overwhelmed by the fact that he might actually have found a home. Danny edged toward me, his flashlight circling. We're surrounded. We'll be fine, I told him. It's time, Thomas. He nodded against my arm and then closed his eyes. Watching the quick flashes of illuminated leering corpses as they closed in around us, I held him tighter. If this didn't work, they'd have to tear me apart to get to him. Invisible hands grasped at my clothes and fell limp. The wind all around us stopped. 
The sound of hundreds of falling bodies echoed through the forest as the corpses fell in scattered unison. The forest still burned, but the portals had damaged so many trees, it was impossible for the leftover flames to spread now that the source was gone. Danny laughed first, and Thomas and I both joined him in a series of deep, freedom-charged belly laughs. It was over. I smiled. Just for once, everyone had lived. And more. Dozens more black-suited refugees moved by us in the forest, overjoyed to finally escape their endless walk. The cold and calculating part of me assessed them for threat. After all, they might have had the slow-time bacteria with them. But I guessed that without the light-hungry supercrop plants the bacteria needed, it would be no threat here. That runaway symbiotic cycle had been broken. Today is a good day. Today, just for once, everyone lived. And now I sit in a corner, wondering at my own survival. I didn't really expect to live through this, and I have no plans. Thomas sleeps in one corner of the room, and I sit in the other, analyzing the events of the past few weeks. It should feel odd to become the surrogate mother of a light being turned human from another reality, but I've seen Stranger. And now I've got a book that talks to souls and a shoe with a maddening mystery. I wonder what next week will bring. And for the first time in far too long, I'm actually looking forward to finding out The Multiverse Podcast will continue with The Desolate Guardians. More of Matt's work can be found at mattdemersky.com. More of Eunice's work can be found at blrf.org.